home, I was greeted by Tim saying, yeah, a nice sermon subject to, to preach on. <laughs> oh, you know, we looked at the, the rite of circumcision as a Jew. We looked inside the scriptures. We also looked at the God-given physical nature God instituted as well, which I think is important. I think he's given that to us that uh, we can see beyond in some areas. And by doing this, we get a clear, better understanding and application for today. Okay, I just make sure you understand that people get things mixed up pretty easy because they don't see things clearly. You know, the Word of God makes it clear that the physical male circumcision no longer has any power or meaning of spiritual significance today. Though you'll find people will have this done on their child as a spiritual sacrament. They still think that, believe that. It makes sense for the Jews who don't believe the Messiah has come. You can kind of see their reasoning why they would continue in that, in that spiritual sense. But there are Christians who lack for understanding and hold on to that right of circumcision. Now, I know, God willing, you have some babies born, boys, from what we understand. And circumcision will be a, a, a thought there. Now you'll find also Christians, I found this, who will not have their son circumcised. Perhaps because they feel like it is a painful thing for their child and no longer has significance. You know, but the word of God is clear, really, concerning circumcision. Galatians In Galatians 5, 6, it says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. But faith worketh by love. And then Galatians 6.15 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. But there also becomes, when you think about this, the question of strictly the health of the child. Is the child's health and well-being benefited by circumcision? Is it worthy of the temporal pain and risk? There's risk in everything of having that done. Now those who, there's those who over-spiritualize the matter and miss the understanding of it. And then there are the ones who, because they proudly understand the spiritual insignificance of it, make it a point not to circumcise their son in total disregard to the best health for their child, perhaps. That's a decision you make. It's us. me, it's... Whatever you want to do there, just weigh out the options. There are other matters of spiritual discernment and understanding that cause mankind to adhere to methods of spiritual irregularity for the time we live in today. There are Messianic Jews, which are Jewish descendants who are simply Christians. I mean, we've got this thing, Messianic Jews. (laughs) Think about this. They still worship on the Sabbath. We've got a fellow at work now. He's pretty much found out, admitting he's, he's not a Christian. He hasn't had that experience yet. By the way, the first group of people that the gospel went to were the Jews, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. So really for the church to be very Jewish-based would make sense today. We kind of like put that out as like some 
special interest group out there. The great day of Pentecost in Acts 2.5, it said, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. They had different languages. They spoke in tongues and they all heard and saying in Acts 2.41, and they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. You know, there could be others in that group, but it kind of appears that the first 3,000 believers at Pentecost were Jews. Some people hold to the Levitical dietary laws. Peter, at first, through this transitional period of the church, had a struggle with that. In Acts 10, 9, it said, On the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Boy, that sounds like Peter, doesn't it? And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Now, you know, he's really, you know, he's referring a lot here to the Gentiles and them being saved and understand that they're part of this group. It's just not the Jews. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, listen to this, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now there was a religious group known as the Shakers. They forbid to marry. Their doctrine is really quite interesting. And they were against procreation. That didn't last long, as you can imagine. <laughs> Although there was ways that they brought people in, babies dropped off on doorsteps, and you know they would uh, adopt children and things like that to keep it going, but it pretty much went away. But they did leave behind some really nice furniture, by the way. We have vegetarians which claim the original diet of mankind. And it's true. The original diet given to mankind was strictly plant-based food. But because meat is so good, we have vegan. <laughs> so we can get there, plant-based meats. However, the truth of vegetarian diet was for a time period, if you understand that. And we're going to learn a little more about these things at camp. It was a time when you lived 900 years, by the way. I kind of wonder if the days before the flood, that in order to live long, that long, 900 years, maybe it required a strict plant-based diet. But since we only live an average of 80 years or so, we can just eat about anything. 
without it affecting our lifespan. I'm not talking about like good, healthy eating habits, okay? Uh, that can benefit you or avoiding things that you're allergic to. I'm talking about belief systems. And I'll tell you what, there's some people, it's a really strong belief systems in these areas. They talk about global warming, don't they? Now, I don't want you to shoot me down here, but there is probably some data and truth in it. There's been a major, major shifting in our weather systems from before, during, and after the flood. Things are settling down, settling in, and there's some results of that. You know, <clears throat> we may be able to document those gradual changes, but this world will not be taken in by a gradual climate change. According to God, it will be upended by sin and will be cast away by God in a fervent heat one day. Yeah, there is, there's going to be extreme global warming in that day. We need to understand some things about God's created nature. We need to understand the whole picture that we might correctly identify the pieces. Colossians 1.16, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things, what? Consist. It's all held together. This whole world and how it's held together, really, you can see God in it all. It's for Him. It speaks of Him. There was a thing called COVID not that long ago. <laughs> Anybody remember that? <laughs> the cure had to do with altering the RNA. I'll just give you how I think about some things. And I'm just trying to encourage you to think in the senses of God's design. You know, this caused me to look at and understand, well, what is DNA and what is RNA? Now, what I've found in simplistic terms is that God created DNA, okay, as the instructions and building blocks of life. The RNA, or what science terms as mRNA, or messenger RNA, <clears throat> is responsible to get out the message of the DNA, which is the fundamental way life is created and works. Now, believing God has a perfect design in everything and has representation spiritually as well, it would seem that there's a perfect match with DNA, why don't you think about this, represented by the Word of God. It's unchangeable. It's the written code. It's, you don't mess with that. And the RNA is a, is a match of the messenger of God, the preaching of God's Word. And what they've done with this, uh, what they're calling, I don't know what they call it, uh, whatever it is, is they're altering the RNA. Now that bothered me in the, in the picture of God's creation and what that really looks like. To me, spiritually says, let's deal with the messenger. We can't get rid of the code. We can't get rid of what's right and true, but we can get, we can mess with the messengers. And is there ever a day when preachers are starting to really mess up and go to the side? 
So say what you say, but scientific study of DNA and RNA and the very words of human scientists, their explanations has amazing spiritual design characteristics. It's uncanny. Now, for me, it's not uncanny. It's, this is how God said some things, and it causes me to be very careful in those areas. Movies and stories, think about this, are pretty much the same thing. Everything is good to start out with, then something bad happens. The good fights the bad, but the bad is stronger than the good. So the good needs a hero. The hero shows up and seems to win. But the enemy gets loose for a time, and there's a resurgence and final battle with the good when the good wins finality. It's the story of the Bible. And people, all people, me included, we watch that same thing. We know what's going to happen. They just change the name and places. And we watch them over and over again. Hollywood movie writers, ungodly people, continually write the same stories, and we never tire of it. Saved and unsaved alike, we enjoy watching God's story. They won't admit it, but they are. There have been things in the Bible that by Bible words alone just don't, I'll speak for me, didn't give me the full understanding. You know, as a pastor, you know, or a leader, church leader, you know, you think you have all the answers, you should have all the answers. You might have the answers that people say you should have. But if you're quite honest with yourself, you got some questions. One of those things with me is baptism. I believe it. <laughs> I accept it. But really understanding it was hard until I looked at the physical representations and patterns of life found in them, much like the question of circumcision. Tim Mahoney, which Andy knows, we're going through some of his films, he's pretty good. It's a, he's a Christian movie maker and had some of the same idea that I'm talking about as he looked at the Word of God and the various sometimes conflicting viewpoints of science, history, evolutionists, and even between creationists. But he was looking for patterns of evidence, and that's what he would call patterns of evidence. He was looking for the pattern of it to find out what the truth is, and it was really a good way at looking at this. He had a quest for truth in these debated matters of the Bible, such as the writing of the Word of God. You know, there's a lot said about that. You know, Moses couldn't have wrote that. They didn't have a language, you know, and all these sort of things. Um, where the Hebrews crossed the Red Sea? Where is Mount Sinai, really? And other matters disputed within and without of Christian-based opinions. He admitted that his faith, in the beginning of his movies, that his faith, faith was challenged. He stepped out of what he was told and what he should believe and he stepped into this realm of, could I be wrong? And seriously, felt that way. Because there, there's a lot of pounding by the devil to knock people off their feet in their faith. But when he sought the truth, he looked and he found the patterns of evidence and he revived his faith. He was raised in a Christian home. But his faith was being shook a little bit. 
Now, just as movies, Christian and non-Christian can't seem to get away from telling the gospel story, neither can the nature of this world do anything but give us patterns to properly put the truth together. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. This world can't deny it. It's, it's amazing. When you, I encourage you to seek it because it will encourage you to see God in this world. Verse 14, Other things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to profit, to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. God is telling us, and, and this is what I'm saying, is we need to know. We need to understand. We need to get to the point where to the subverting of the hearers, and we live in a world that's mixed up, and we need to know what we're doing. We need to understand it, and we need to be convincing. Subvert the hearers. Study. Then here comes the big verse. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, get back to baptism. I find it hard to clearly identify its origins. Though you find conjecture, like you go look at the history, you can't really find anything like to grab a hold of in history. about. It just kind of seems to almost appear out of nowhere, to tell you the truth. That's what I found. If you found something else, let me know. Now, besides the scriptures and references, there is clear representation of what it stands for. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? It's easy to understand that the proper method of baptism that is evident by word and picture is immersion. It makes sense. You know, in preachers, it's, it's, it's kind of an easy level to get to because, you know, while you're buried, you know, do people just sprinkle dirt on you? <laughs> yeah. It's, you're immersed, you know, you're down in the ground, six feet under, they say. It's easy to understand that method. But knowing what is the significance and continued performance of that has been a little mind-challenging to me. If you're saved and have a testimony of salvation in a church non-ashamingly serving the Savior, why the importance of exercising that right? And there is groups who are getting away from, are going this way because of their thinking of it's, it's just, it's, it's not useful anymore. Getting rid of baptism. There's a way that seemeth right unto man. The ways thereof are the ways of death. The easy thing for us to say is, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, that's what God said to do. Go preach the gospel. Baptize them. Yeah, it can be as simple as that. Do I settle for, as Brother Mike was saying, just because? Sometimes we do have to. Just because what God says and there's things. Or I, do I seek to know the why? The God why? When I look into the pattern of baptism, I find something similar in the world today. A pattern like movies that this world cannot seem to move away from. And let me state it like this. I remember a time 
when my baseball coach in high school came to me and told me that I was voted as a first team all Cincinnati outfielder. Whoop, what an honor. It was a great honor. Yet the ceremony was later before I would receive the world and would be publicly recognized, you know, put it in the paper or whatever. My son Tim recently had a similar honor in his police work. Actually, it was a lot more than I realized. He was pretty humble about it and didn't say much about it. But it followed that same pattern. You know, he got a call. They were going to have this ceremony, and you go to the ceremony, and there's where you get honored. There are similar situations in the world. I remember listening to a baseball player who was voted into the Hall of Fame. This is the way it went. He remembers a call from the commissioner well before any induction ceremony to let him know of the honor he was going to receive. Man, he remembered that like because this was a strange call. He didn't know what it was about. And perhaps you've had that moment in the sun. They say we all get 15 minutes of it in our life. When was it, let me ask you, when was it that you actually earned the award? When it was told to you? When it was announced to you? When it was given to you ceremonially? Questions. What about salvation? When does that happen? I like Shane. He's, um, I don't know how I describe him. Very lively, outspoken, uh, on the charismatic side of Baptist. I'm not saying that's bad. You can learn something from that. And he would always say, you know, when that person comes over, it wasn't when he went, it was before he got up he was saved, you know. There's some truth. I believe in that. I see some instances of the same thing in Scripture. When did Abraham receive the promise? When he was circumcised? At the ceremonial part? When did Noah receive his faith? When the flood came? What about David? When was he king? At Samuel's anointing? Or perhaps before he was born? Or was it when he was king over the two tribes? Or when he was coronated to include all the tribes? When does the king of England become king? At the coronation or before? Let me ask you this. When does a person get married? I asked Patty this. She right off says, when they say, I do. <laughs> is it when the wedding ring is placed? Or when they say, I do? Or when the preacher says, by the power vested in me? <laughs> or was it when the man asked in an engagement promise. Think about it. When did Jesus secure mankind's salvation? Brother Mike talked a little bit about this. Was it at the cross when he said, it is finished? 
Or was it when he went into the true holy of holies in heaven and put his blood on the true mercy seat of God? John 20, 16 is a very interesting verse. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. You go back and you start to look. Remember we talked about the priest this morning. Seven days. They were to go, not to go out. Nobody was to touch them. The food that they ate, what was left was to be burned. It was a time of consecration. Do not touch. It was like a holy period of time. I love the words. I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. Now, I want to back up to baptism. Now, I'm not sure I have all the reasons. But one thing I see is this. There is the heart event. There is time between the witnesses of the heart and the mouth confession and all these kind of things. Then there is the ceremonial. Why the ceremony? What's the big deal? Well, I think the difference between the announcement and the ceremony that seems to be consistent is this. And you think about it in all these situations. Marriage you do not enact the power of the announcement until after the ceremony in other words you may be king but he doesn't sit on the throne and make the judgments he gave the honor and right of power to his son when he came before him, I believe, with the blood. We were saved, and he did it back then. It's finished. But there was the ceremony. Both are true. And that's when he's seated at the right hand of God, with all powers given unto me in heaven and earth. That's when the powers enacted. Let me ask you, when did Eve sin? I say, well before she ate. But when she ate, the empowerment of sin was enacted upon her at that point. James 1.13, we had this scripture this morning. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, the ceremonial part, bringeth forth death. Genesis 3.2 said, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, 
neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now there's thoughts that, well, God didn't say that. But what we got to understand, not everything that God says is, is written down. He may very well told her that. Otherwise, she'd have been a liar right there. Now there's another type of pattern that has to do with reward. It's when you are nominated, but you don't know the outcome until the ceremony. That's kind of how we see that pattern in today. 1 Corinthians 3.11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it. There's coming a day, you know, when they, you know, those people who sit out in the audience don't know if they're getting the award or not, or what's going to happen. We're going we're gonna to sit in that seat. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So what I'm encouraging, encouraging the church to do, is to look at some of the patterns and ask God, why? He doesn't exactly particularly say, but that doesn't mean he doesn't want to tell you. I think he wants us to ask him. I think he wants that close relationship. I think he wants to tell us these things. Now, I say all that, you better be careful too. Like, I, I really believe there's significance in numbers. You know, number seven in completion. Uh, 40 is an interesting number, a testing of trial. You look everywhere and you see 40, it's amazing. 40 weeks for pregnancy. But I had a guy come in to a home one day. We were ministers. He was a minister of some sort and started and came up into, into me and talking about the stars and the signs and how that's in the Bible and we know what's going to happen and giving me some place to go look for. So I said, well, the son doesn't even know. And he had some kind of crazy answer for that. <laughs> so we got to be careful not to like read into these things, we can get kind of crazy. There's some things that are just solid. You'll know it. God reveals it to you. And it's a good, good thing. As a matter of fact, if you don't understand some of these things, like I said, you're going to be stunted in your growth. You can only go so far. I have a burden for the church, for these children, to start organizing our teaching in ways that are building upon something. It's kind of covertly, because they won't understand it. But when you put it in certain building blocks, it will help them to understand later as they know more and more. Because I'll tell you, I don't know about you, Brother Mike. Um, Andy, you, you, it sounds to me like you've been a little fortunate in church. 
but the churches that I've went through don't teach you much. Don't challenge you much. It's very basic. Kids go in, teach them this story, that story, this story. How's all those stories? You, you read a book, you know. A lot of people just go to the end and read the book. The end. But you kind of want to know the whole thing. You kind of breeze over. There's a way, there's an, an intelligent way of going about this and studying the Word of God and understanding it. But you're going to have to make it important. We're going to have to make it important that we do this for the children in the next generation. And so um, I encourage you to pray that way, think that way, and to teach that way and be ready. Um, you know, on Wednesdays, you know, we're really just trying to hammer ourselves. We need to hammer ourselves into understanding the scriptures, know to where to go. Hey, we're human. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm not so great at memory things. Certain things I do okay on, but it's just practice, practice, practice. Um, where to find things, how to organize things. We need to get excited about that. We want that, desire that. We've got that capability here in this church. And we really need to work toward that. So again, be ready for family camp. I'm going to lay out some things that I think will be really helpful when we look at the whole Word of God in its entirety. It's kind of like looking, doing the puzzle, seeing the whole thing while you're working on portions of it. And it will make a lot of sense. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we're just encouraged to know you better, to fight, to know, to ask why, to get close to you, uh, to have a burden for our children, to, uh, to, to have a burden for this world who's mixed up and, and, and uh, that we need to subvert the hearers, that we would rise up not in any kind of pride, but opposite in humility and in really deep care for those who are missing it, for those who are getting caught in this world and its measly offerings, leaving a tremendous thing that God has for us that's eternal and secure. And so may we... I know we're not where we're supposed to be at, but I know that if we have the right heart, you'll teach us, you'll help us to be what you want us to be. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.